Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. Thank you, Hunter and Allison. You've got, listen, you've got to come tonight. You've got to bring your friends because I can't eat all this candy myself. We've got like... 600 pounds. How much candy we've got, Hunter? 800 pounds of candy and toys and stuff. We've got lots of hot dogs and marshmallows to roast on the fire. So we need you, and we're going to have, you know, we'll have people show up. We're going to have a great time. Bring your kids, bring your neighbors. Uh, We're going to have a great time. How you doing? It's fall. You know, it, it may be 105 tomorrow. We don't know. It's Texas. Just have to, just have to wait and see. Yeah, we don't know what tomorrow holds, right? So, uh, we're talking about in the last couple of weeks. We've been doing finding your purpose. Uh, first week you talked about you're God's masterpiece. You're rare. You're special. You're valuable. Uh, we talked about the purpose of your purpose. God created you with a blueprint to glorify God with your life. Uh, we talked about the focus, of your pur- pur- the focus of your purpose, which I always want to, I think in my mind, the hocus of your focus every time I think. <laughs> the hocus of your focus when I think about the focus of your purpose. So uh, to seek first the kingdom of God, put God first in everything. And last week we talked about how to know God's will. It's important you, you, you figure out how to hear God's voice in your life Listen to his word. Listen to the spirit of God so that you can know God's will. Because life is made of decisions, and decisions determine your destiny. Good de- How many of you have made some bad decisions that cost you? Anybody made any bad decisions? And the same way, good decisions can pave the way, you know, to make, uh, give you more room to make bad decisions. Uh, so... So how do we know God's will for us was what we talked about last week. Today we want to talk about uh, all of life is worship. Uh, we've talked about how in the, in the Westminster Catechism, uh, the Westminster Catechism was a period of time where the Church of Scotland was trying to get the, all of the, the Protestant church kind of on the same page. And so the shorter catechism, they had a longer catechism, but the catechism was used to train people in what they believed uh, so in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it was the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So our purpose, the chief end of man, our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him. So, so then we come, so what does it mean to glorify? Well, to glorify means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect God's greatness. Things that make much of God, that give evidence of the supreme greatness of his attributes and the all-satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections. It's, it's a lot more than, you know, we just had a time of worship, but it's way more than that. That's, that is worship. That is a time, that it's community worship. It's us singing together and then it's great. I love it. Uh, but it, it's not, that's not all there is to worship is the songs we sing and how we sing them. The, the Bible really declares that all of life is worship. 
Now, I like C.S. Lewis, and some of you may be familiar with C.S. Lewis. He was, he was kind of like an accidental apologist. He didn't, he didn't start out that way. He was not a believer. He went to Oxford. He was, he was uh, friends with R.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings guy. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, plus other things. He, he became a Christian, but as he became a Christian, he still was struggling with some stuff and some doubts. Anybody know anybody that's become a Christian still struggling with some doubts? So one of the things that, that C.S. Lewis struggled with is that see, he seemed, it, it troubled him that God needed praise. It troubled him that it seemed like God, because he even commands us, if you read the scriptures, he talks about for us to praise his name and lift up his name. So it seemed like God was kind of like a, you know, a needy person that needed love expressed to him. And so reality, we know that if God is God, and if we understand God is who he is, and God exist outside of reality and then created the reality that we experience, but he's not bound by that reality and exists outside of it and is in every, uh, fulfills everything, but that there's not anything that God needs. So then, I mean, God doesn't need anything. He didn't need for us to exist. Why do we exist? He, we only exist because, not because he needed us, we only exist because he wanted us. So how does, how does worship fit into that? Because it, it seems like uh, God is needy. Doesn't it? You don't want, you're afraid to agree with me? <laughs> it's like, is this a trick question? Are we all going to go to hell if we answer it wrong? Say, uh, <laughs> so, okay, they got the, all right, straight to hell. Okay. Then, uh, <laughs> then why do we need to do it? If God doesn't need it, then why do we need to do it? In Revelation 4, 8, it gives a picture of, of around the throne of God. We get kind of, you know, just a glimpse of heaven around the throne of God. This has always been is one of my favorite passages uh, talking about the nature of God and worship of God. And the four living creatures, it describes these four angels that are more than just angels. Not all angels apparently have wings, which is a whole other thing, but we won't get into that. Uh, <laughs> I know you assume that, uh, that all angels have wings, and they don't necessarily do. Uh, they don't need them. Okay. <laughs> My wife's saying, don't get into it. Just stay the course. Stay the course. Land the plane. Come on. Uh, <laughs> each of them having six wings are full of eyes round and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And I've used this illustration a bunch of times because I think if it was you and I doing this, we would be bored in about 15 minutes, right? Or maybe, maybe we go for an hour or two hours. But, you know, you know when I, y'all may not know this, but I had transient global amnesia nine years ago. And so we didn't know what it was. They, they were concerned that I 
was having a stroke. But I was like a goldfish. I knew everybody, I knew every, but I couldn't remember 15 seconds. So they were taking me to the hospital, and I said, where are we going? And Tina would say, we're going to the hospital. And I'd say, why are we going to the hospital? We think you might be having a stroke. And I'd say, that's not good. <laughs> and so in about four or five minutes, I'd say, where are we going? Tina would say, we're going to the hospital. Why are we going to the hospital? We think you've had a stroke. That's not good. Where are we going? We're going to the hospital. Why are we going to the hospital? We think you've had a stroke. That's not good. I want to tell you that if I ever have real sickness, I've only got about 45 minutes of compassion. And that she's reached her limit. But you can, that's frustrating, right? In other words, you know, just over and over and over and over again. So, you, so why would the angels be any different? Why would the angels be any different that are around the throne of God saying, holy, holy, holy? And how long have they been doing it? They haven't been doing it in time. They've been doing it eternally. They have forever been doing it. They will always forever be doing it. And they are doing it right now forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. They've been saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And you would think if it was you and I, we would have been like, holy, holy. All right, holy. Okay. Holy, holy. We'd give up. But you see, they are overcome. Something is happening with these angels around the throne. They are overcome with the revelation of God in that moment. And they are seeing the holiness of God in a dimension because God is infinite. And they are seeing an aspect of the holy, infinite God that they have not seen before. And in that moment, in that moment, his holiness, they, they have a revelation and an understanding of it. And it blesses them to a, such a degree that they can't keep silent. They're not bored. They are exclaiming with the, all the enthusiasm that they can muster that they've ever had and ever will have. Like they, for the first time, have seen the holiness of God. And they're crying out, holy. And it doesn't bless God, but it blesses them. You see, what, who gets the blessing when we worship? We do, because it shows us who God is. We have a greater revelation of who God is. We sing about his love, and we sing about his faithfulness, and we sing about, we make these declarations like, the enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, you're mine. So we, we talk about Jesus, you're my healer, and you're my deliverer, and, my, and that's, those are all true things about Jesus. And we sing that, and as we sing that, there's a blessing that takes place. But it's not God bless, that we're blessing God, it's God blessing us with the reality of his presence, with the reality of his truth. We're blessed. Psalm 19.1 says it this way, the heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. When we look up, you know, and now, when we look up into the heavens, you think for thousands of years we were just limited to look and just see the reflection of stars and not really have a real concept 
It was not that long ago that they had a concept that there were other planets out there and there were other things out there. It just looked like these points of light in the sky and they didn't truly understand. But now we've been able to look through uh, multiple telescopes and see with greater dimension the nearby planets. And then through like the Hubble telescope, we've been, been able to look in a sense even back into the past. Which is, isn't that amazing? That through, we're able to look back in time and see, see just a couple of billion years after the Big Bang or the creation of the universe. And so we can see things. And so I don't know, you see the pictures of like that have come back from, what's the newest telescope's name? The Webb, the Webb, thank you. The Webb telescope, which is even more incredible than the Hubble telescope. Uh, and see these pictures of nebulae and galaxy, just points of stars in the heavens for until almost the 50s that they realize, oh, that's not just a star, that's a galaxy. Billions and billions of galaxies in the universe and billions and billions of stars. And so when I look at the stars and I look at these beautiful pictures coming back, do you like to see those things like of the universe and stars and, and, and black holes and all those incredible things that we can see now and to see that. And, and I look in awe at it. My awe of it doesn't change it. I mean, I can say, wow, all day long, it doesn't add anything to it, does it? It's what, it is what it is. But I can recognize it. I can recognize that it's there. And in recognizing, there's, there's, a, there's a benefit to me. See, the universe didn't create, create itself. It had no hand in its own majesty. Uh, it's created. And so since it's created, it points to its creator. So C.S. Lewis had this problem that, that he, he struggled with. Uh, what is it? Why does God need to be worshipped? It seems like God's needy. And he came to terms with that. And he, as he struggled with that, he came to terms with what, what he felt like God was doing and what was happening. So in his reflections of the Psalms, C.S. Lewis wrote, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. I mean, isn't, isn't it true? Like, it, like we went out to eat on Friday night and it was really good. And then there's something about when the, there's somebody sitting there next to you and you're enjoying, they're, they're enjoying their food. And, and so you say, you say to them, how is it? How is it? And they say to you, how is it? It's like, this is good. Here, here, you want a bite? And so this is Tina and I, not just random strangers. Uh, uh, <laughs> but I'll give her a bite. Of what I'm eating, she'll give me about. And it's like, oh, there, there isn't there something about sharing, about talking about it, is the culmination of the experience, to be able to share it. If you, so that's what he's saying. Uh, it is the appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. 
It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good it is to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, but we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. See, it, you know the scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's in the experience of worship when we understand. I, you, know, I, you know one of my favorite verses, because it's usually a lot in Ephesians, where Paul says, I'm praying for you that you'll know the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. He says, I want you to know something that you never really will have the full comprehension of it. He said, but what a journey, what a joy to begin seeing and experiencing the love of God. So what we're doing is we're wanting to fully enjoy the knowledge of God. So how do we glorify God with our life? Well, our definition is we want to live life in a way, live that reflects his greatness, that makes much of God, that gives evidence of his supreme greatness, of all of his attributes, and true, all-satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections. So, a couple of things. Have you established whose life it is? I mean, whose life are you living? 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul is dealing with the Corinthians. Corinthians were living in, in Corinth. Makes sense, right? And uh, Corinth, think of Corinth as Vegas. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. It was a very, the whole Roman culture was really sexually messed up because there were no sexual standards in the Roman culture. Jews had them and Christians had sexual standards, but the culture, none, of the, none of the rest of the culture had any sexual standards. So Paul is talking to the Corinthians. He's trying to, he's trying to help them walk in the midst of a very, a very uh, messed up culture sexually where basically anything goes. And he's saying to them, listen, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God? So he wants them to understand, you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So he's wanting them to understand, hey, I want you to get a hold of something. You don't get to live for yourself any longer. You don't get to live a selfish life just thinking about yourself. Now you need to live in such a way that your goal in your life is to glorify God with your life because your life is not your own. So you've been bought with a price. So what does that mean? Well, it's not that you've been bought, you know, because we... we when we see that, we, we think of a person being bought, we think of slavery. Uh, and so are we bought like slaves to do the work of God as slaves? We're bought as slaves to do the work of God as slaves? That doesn't sound good. No, <laughs> that's what it means. To be bought with a price means that we were once slaves to sin, and now we have been purchased with the blood of Christ 
We've been redeemed. To be redeemed is the, the, the price has been paid. We have been redeemed. We've been set free. Did you ever get redemption stamps when you were growing up as a kid? You had SNH green stamps, and there were some other stamps that were not as good as SNH green stamps. I don't remember. Gold bond. No, that's, that's uh, talcum powder. Uh, <laughs> blue chip. In other words, so you redeemed those. You could go, you would, could save them up, and you redeemed them. You could take those, and and if you had like forty-seven books of stamps, you could get a toaster or something. You know, you were, you were, and the so Christ has redeemed us from sin. He has paid the purchase price. We're no longer in bondage to sin. We have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness, and we've been placed in the kingdom of light. We've been set free from that domain, and we have been adopted. So, it, so we've been purchased, but it's not purchased like now we're purchased as slaves. We've been bought with a price. What does that mean? We've been bought with a price. He says, now glorify God with your body. Romans 5, 9 gives us a picture of that, and they sang a new song. What's the other song? Holy, holy, holy. There's another song they sing in heaven saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Because of what Christ has done for us and the complete work of Christ, his blood has set us free, and now we are adopted as sons and daughters, and we should act that way. He is saying, glorify God in your body. Act like who you are. Act like who you are. You are a child of God. You are a son and daughter of God. You are going to reign with God. You are kings and priests for the living God. So he said, live your life like who you are. See, that's how we overcome sin. We don't overcome sin. We've talked about it the last couple of weeks. You don't overcome sin with a list of no's. Don't, 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 don't. There's no power in don't. How do we overcome sin? Because we all are tempted to sin. So how do we overcome it? We overcome sin by relishing who Christ is and what he has done for us. We make much of Christ. We make much of God. We make much of his work. We think about how holy and glorious he is and what price he has paid for us. So that helps us establish whose are we? How am I living? Am I living like I'm mine or that I'm living like I belong to the king? And I'm a son of the most high God. Number two, we need to establish who you work for. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of your inheritance. It's the Lord God whom you serve. So we all have to work. So who do you work for? And Paul says, you need to remember that you work for God. You don't work for money. You don't work for that company, not primarily, primarily because God is to have the first place in your life. We work for the glory of God. We work to honor God. We want our work to bring attention, not to us, but to God. We want work not for the approval of men, If we work for the glory of God, we'll get the approval of men. If we work for the glory of God, we'll get the acceptance of men. But if we work for the 
<laughs> acceptance of men and the approval of men, we will not get either one. So what do we work for? We glorify God with our life and our work. So we need to remember a couple of things. Remember who we really work for. Uh, we want to be our best. We want to do our best. We want to excel. We want to excel because of who we are. We excel because we, we're the king's kids. We represent the king, kingdom of God. We want to excel. Just like Joseph and Daniel excelled in their work. And so it elevated them to a place and it elevated the message of God to a particular place. So we need to also recognize our strengths and our weaknesses. Anybody in here got some strengths? Anybody got some weaknesses? Sometimes your strength is your weakness too. Did you know that? So what do you, how, how are you going to deal with that? How can you be effective? Well, we do that, as we talked about earlier, you, you give it to God. When I'm weak, he's strong. We, 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 we come before the Lord in openness and honesty because you never overcome a weakness by admitting you don't have it. What's the best way to overcome a weakness is to say, I've got a weakness. <laughs> Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean to your own understanding. To trust in God's work in your life and trust him to be able to help you do the things that he's called you to do. Number three, want to communicate with integrity and honesty. Oh man, isn't it a tough day? Doesn't everybody lie today? Everybody lies all the time. And so it's very important for us as people of God to be truthful, to tell the truth, conduct yourselves. Colossians 4, 5 says, with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of each opportunity. Let your speech be as it, with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So, we, need, we want to, just want to talk with integrity and honesty, be, be people of our word. And you're going to be asked to lie. In this culture, if you work for a company, they're going to ask you to lie to cover up for their product's shortcomings or to increase their profit margins, or they're going to ask you to lie. Your fellow employees will ask you to lie to cover for them so that they can do something that they shouldn't. And so you just have to Walk in honesty and integrity, not to be, you know, arrogant about it. Just do it. Number four, attitude is so important. We want to have an attitude of thanksgiving, joy, and peace. So thanksgiving is so important that we're thankful for what we have to not be complainers. Uh, we, we, we should always choose gratitude over grumbling. I don't know if you, you know, if you notice, if you just read, just a cursory reading through the Bible, you'll find that God doesn't like grumblers. It doesn't turn out well for grumbling people. But God does like for his people to be thankful. And he gives us his joy. And he gives us his peace. It's, we can have joy in the midst of bad circumstances. We can have peace in the midst of bad circumstances because it's his joy and his peace that he gives us. So we can have that. And then that gives us an opportunity to share with people. I don't know, you know, used to people would grab around the water cooler. I think the water cooler's probably gone, you know. Uh, COVID probably killed that too. Uh, can't have water cooler. Uh, whatever. You know, so 
whatever environment you use where people are talking about the company, and there may be, you know, now it's probably social media, so there's some kind of social media side that people are going and making comments. And, you know, I just want to encourage you to understand this about social media, that it is not eternal because it's not God, but it's going to last a long time. And you, anybody here ever said any stupid things you regret? I mean, how about today? You may say anything stupid today. All right, yeah. So, but you have to recognize, what do you do? You realize, be thankful, be grateful. Because there's something about an attitude, if you've got a good attitude and the right attitude, it opens the door for other conversations. It opens the door for you to communicate with other people. So, last thing, have you established whose money it is? Because time is money. So you've taken your life, your life, who does it belong to? If we've, okay, one person knows, thank you. So, <laughs> thank you. We've, we've, our life belongs, belongs to God. So we've given our life, we go out and give our time to some company, some job, some, and we exchange that for money. Isn't that how it works? You act surprised like it hasn't been happening for you. Okay. <laughs> So we, we exchange our life for money. So if your life and time belong to the Lord and your work belongs to the Lord, then everything you have belongs to the Lord. So we're stewards of the resources that he gives us. We're stewards of the money that we get. So Paul, again, writing to Timothy, says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. So first of all, you know, so a lot of us would immediately, you'd say, well, you've just disqualified yourself from that Bible verse. Right? <clears throat> How many of you say, I'm rich and I know it. That's, talk about, this is a reluctant crowd today. So, I, saw, I saw that hand. Right, put them down for a thousand. Put them down for, no. That's what, it's not what you're afraid of. It's humility. It's, it's either humility or stubbornness. I'm not sure. Uh, but think about this. A, fa- a family of four that makes $75,000, so that's counting both incomes. (coughs) You're in the, and you make, so you make $75,000. You're in the top 5% of earners in the world. If you make, you know, $75,000. If you make $100,000, you're in the top 3% of earners in the world. If you make 125000 as a family, you're in the top 2% of earners in the world. So if you're in the top, so let's say you make $75,000. So you're richer than 95% of the world. So 95% of the world would look at you and say, 7.5 billion people would look at you and say, you're rich. And you would say, oh, not really. 
And then a half a billion people, some of that proportion are as, have 75,000 and some are richer than, but get a hold of that. God's blessed you. It's, you're blessed. So he says, since you're blessed, get a hold of this. He says, don't put your trust in money because it can come and go real quick. House values can plummet. Interest rates can go sky high. Gold and silver can change. Money can be devalued. Isn't that encouraging? Aren't you glad you came today? Social Security could run. Let me just add this to Social Security will probably run out of money. So what should you do? You should put your trust in God who is able to take care of you, who, who he says, and instead lay up a treasure in heaven. Make sure that you use your money for investing in eternal things. Make sure that you're using your money to the glory of God. Make sure you're using your money so that you'll be able to say, look, I've invested not just in this stuff. It's, this stuff is good. God's, God's not angry because you have the stuff you have. He's angry when this, maybe that's not good terminology, but he doesn't like it when the stuff you have has you. And it's controlling you, and it's making you fearful, and it's causing you anxiety. He wants you to be free from the love of money, but he wants you to invest your money as a steward in the kingdom of God. Amen. So I've got more to say, but I can't, don't have time. So. So he wants us to glorify him. So just think, think about this for a second. Everything that doesn't glorify God in your life or your work or your money, if it's not making much of God, if it's not declaring his attributes to the world and his beauty to the world, if, if there are things in your life that are not glorifying God, they got to go. Right? Does that make sense? If there are things in your life that aren't glorifying, if you, if, if you say, if you look at this and say, this, this, not, this isn't bringing honor to the Lord. This, this needs to go. You know, I think the Lord will tell us. He, he'll lead us that. So, so let's stand and pray. Now, let's just ask him. Lord, you're not a God who leads us by legalism or fear, but you lead us in life, live into a better way, the living way. You've, you've bought us with a price. We belong to you, not as slaves, but as sons and daughters. Since we're sons and daughters of the Most High God, you want us to live a way that glorifies your name, that points to you. So, Lord, we want to do that with our life. We want our lives to glorify your name. We want our lives to point to you and draw people to you. Lord, if there's something in my life that needs to go, it's an attitude, maybe I'm not thankful or joyful or peaceful. Maybe it's the things I say, the way I talk, the way I grumble or complain. Lord, you know, you know me. And Lord, I, I want to live my life in a way that glorifies your name. And if there's whatever's in my life that needs to go, 
Lord, I ask that you, by your spirit in my life, would show me and lead me to glorify you in all my life. That's my best life. My best life is going to be the life that glorifies you. So, Lord, help me to glorify you in all I do. In Jesus' name, everybody said. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.